Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, we are covering all you need to know about nitrates derogation with dairy advisor Mark O'Sullivan. Mark documents new regulations on liming, low emission slurry spreading, ration specs and grassland management. The NAP4, the Nitrate Action Plan, is part of the Water Framework Directive, which allows farmers to farm over and above 170 kgs nitrogen per hectare or, or two dairy cows equivalent, subject to additional measures uh, designed at protecting the environment and waters. I suppose the current environmental challenges um, and the continued disimprovement in water quality um, it is considered prudent to initiate a review um, in advance of submitting the application in 2021. So I suppose the purpose of the review is improving efficiencies and continue to reduce on, um, on an environmental footprint with particular emphasis on the water, climate, air quality, nutrient use efficiency with an, an added element of biodiversity. Um, and I suppose the, the goal, the measures introduced to further protect our water quality and to assist us or assist uh, um, with the application um, for the NAP5, which will be kicking off next year, the application will be going in. Now, Mark, we'll run through some of the, the key changes and the key practices farmers are going to look to implement. But it's, it, it's essentially going to be a quick fire round and, and you're going to answer them for us. So I suppose looking firstly, um, there are some new guidelines around liming that have been introduced from the start of this year. I suppose firstly, can you outline what the those changes are? OK, I suppose. So the first thing is compulsory liming programme. And when we hear the word compulsory, we think it's, it's a bad thing. Uh, quite the opposite with lime. So... We know that around 50% of the soils uh, that have been tested are suboptimum for pH. So in order to unlock this potential uh, and release nutrients, um, the liming program has been brought in, um, which is basically a recommendation to spread uh, the requirements um, for lime on your farm. So over a four-year period, it's recommended to front load the requirements. So if there's a two-ton per acre requirement for lime, Ideally, this should be spread uh, and front-loaded in the first two years over the four-year cycle of the soil sample. Um, I suppose on the, the ground, the different types, the ground limestone and the granite lime, we always get this debate. Um, the ground limestone, will one, it's much cheaper um, than your granite lime. Um, it's, it, it's designed so the first, um, a third of the lime, which is basically from, from grit, uh, or from dust up to grit, uh, a third of it will be uh, fast releasing and then it's designed the ground limestone to be slow releasing for the next two years, whereas your grand lime is very finely ground at 0.1 of a mil um, and then pelleted. So it's faster acting. Uh, one thing to bear in mind with the ground limestone um, over the grand lime, grand lime is um, really it's only a maintenance product and ideally should only be used really on hilly ground or where you can't actually spread your ground limestone and um, and from a point of view of build up for ph your ground your ground limestone and granite lime should be used uh, in the same ratio so the same quantities for build up um, your maintenance you get away with maybe a third going with the granite lime and talk through the rates that you use mark Okay, so normally, uh, depending on, on your, your samples, but generally speaking, two, two tonne per acre is about the, the, the recommended uh, high molybdenum soils. You may go less, but generally speaking, two tonne, a tonne and a half to two tonne per acre. Um, as a rule of thumb, we'd always say 
every every four to five years there's a maintenance requirement uh two two ton every four to five years from a point of view of offtakes from meat milk um and losses through through um through the soil does does that requirement in any case for maintenance on on a lot of soils and looking at the time of year we're at now, you know, we're heading into September and, and late autumn. Is there an opportunity between now and the end of the year to spread lime? Yeah, so I, a lot of people, um, I suppose, more historically have tried to put it back to the end of the year. So you give it a good time to wash in. But the reality of it is there's no bad time to spread lime. Um, there is opportunities throughout the year after even after bales on the grazing platform and after tight grazings, after silage. There is no bad time um, to get at lime, but ideally um, it is a good time to do it at the back end of the year uh, if it's not out uh, already. And and how important is record keeping in terms of lime application um, within derogation circles? Yeah, so from, from now on you'll have to record um, the quantities of lime spread um, on, the, on the records at the end of the year that you put in with your feed and fertiliser um, and the amount of slurry that you've spread also on the records uh, through less. So it's important just to keep the receipts that you've spread in terms of... Um, just keep the receipts on file and you put in the records in terms of the quantities on the records um, early in the spring before the end of March with your normal um, fertiliser and meal records. And, and, and moving on to slurry, um, you brought us nicely to that, Mark, and, and you mentioned the less or the low emission slurry spreading, um, you know, the, this new method and new equipment. Um, talk through the regulation around that, Mark. Okay, so th- we've kind of, there was an easing in period from 2019 um last this sorry this year the start, the middle of april um requirement to spread slurry with with our less equipment so the likes of the dribble bar trailing shoe injection um not that common the injection method um dribble bar down this part is um the the probably the most popular um i suppose just listening to farmers the the big advantage uh with the less um leaving aside the, the environment for one second, which is probably the most important, but just from a farmer's perspective, from what I hear is it gives great flexibility um, to spread fertilizer and, and using a targeted approach, particularly in the spring, where with the splash plate, you, can, you can't really go into the higher covers um, or covers that are around a thousand. You can with the, with the dribble bar. So you can target the paddocks that are lower in index um, and it gives a more targeted approach. The other, I suppose, advantage from a monetary point of view in um, does research from Johnson Castle, every thousand gallons of slurry, you can save up to two or three units of nitrogen that is not lost um, to the atmosphere. And over a hundred acre farm um, at 1500 gallons per acre is the equivalent of about three quarters of a ton of can. So just over one ground or one round of slurry, you can save up to a ton of can um, by going with the low emission slurry. I suppose the TAMS side of it on the Grand St. Louise is, um, well, it's shortly running out, uh, but there is up to 40% grants and 60% for young farmers um, for both new tankers and retrofits. Um, you can retrofit a dribble bar um, to an existing tanker if the brackets are there. Um. So there are options there in terms of the financial um, contribution to either a retrofit or a new tanker and I guess that the benefits you have highlighted Mark in terms of the flexibility in a heavier cover and also looking at the uh, nitrogen uh, the additional nitrogen from the slurry product where you're using uh, less equipment that is 
relevant to all farmers across all enterprises. Looking then, there is changes to the deadline for slurry export. How does that impact farmers? Yeah, so the, the slurry export uh, forms that have to be submitted to the nitrates um, in Johnson Castle were, were always the end of the year, the last day of the year. For derogation farmers, that deadline is now gone to the end of October for, for submitting the form. So it's not a million miles away, um, the form. So it's a change for the derogation farmers that are stocked over the 250 or are exporting slurry in any case. Uh, when they've applied for a derogation is the end of end of October this year. So I think it would be quite useful for farmers to contact their dairy advisors whoever or whoever is helping them with that necessary paperwork. Um, you know, fairly immediately. It's it's you're looking at six weeks' time now is the deadline for that. Um moving on then to clover, I suppose Mark, you're based in Clonakilty, so you've seen a widespread use of um white clover um across the farm there. Can you talk us through the the use of clover within um receded swords um for derogation farmers? Yeah, so it's first just on the regulation first, there's a requirement to put in a kg and a half of clover, uh, of seed clover or two and a half kg of pelleted clover per bag. Um, I suppose the background um, in Clannacilty in 2014 to 2017, the four year trials that's going on down here. Um, just to summarise, leaving aside the fact that it's environmentally um, and nitrogen very efficient in terms of fixing nitrogen, just on the grass growth and cow performance, I'd focus on just uh, from a farmer point of view. Um, there's a seven or eight percent increase in grass growth on the on the grass clover um, crops down here, which is probably just over a ton. That benefit really is coming from June the end of May, June onwards, where there was up to eight kgs dry matter per hectare extra grown on the grass clover um, paddocks down here. Um, and I suppose from a milk output point of view, there was um, up to 11% increase in milk solids per cow, um, which was on, on average, the clover content was 25%, but that varied. It was lower in the spring and, and peaked a bit higher in the at the back end of the year. But I suppose... The feedback you get from farm is that it is positive. Um, the persistency of it and establishment is difficult. And I know there is a lot of work um, and more, I suppose, trial work and to try and get it on farm. Um, it is difficult. So there is work. We acknowledge that. Um, but the one thing I would say on it, Louise, in terms of um, establishing clover or anyone destroying it, it's, it's very important that the soil fertility P's and K and the soil pH and the weed control are under control before anyone would put it in. Um, because the, in terms of the sprays and everything else after, um, to control weed control, it is paramount that, that ever, the, the conditions are, are given the best opportunity to establish itself. And then looking to crude protein and their guidelines for, um, I suppose, a reduced crude protein um, during the mid-season or the main grazing season. Um, I suppose to take a step backwards, uh, firstly, Mark, to give us some context, how much crude protein is there in grazed grass? Generally speaking, with grazed grass, it ranges between 16 to 24% crude protein. But again, that is very much dependent on sward age, sward type, growth stage, and I suppose fertiliser regime and the time of the year. So it does it does vary, can go below that. Sometimes it'll go higher, but generally speaking, between 16 to 24%. Um, when we look at actual cow crude protein requirements, again, the ranges are probably 16 to 17% um, crude protein in the overall total diet. Um, this can vary. So the, uh, that's for grazing 
animals indoor systems are slightly higher maybe um, and young stock will have a slightly higher crude protein requirement um, just for growth uh, I suppose where it's going this year um, the requirement between April and September the main grazing season does a protein cap of 16% crude protein um, and next year that's going to 15% but I suppose in West Cork I know a couple of the co-ops here historically have had 13-14% crude protein in any case so the changes are minimal uh, to be honest and in an ideal world the balance with energy and protein within the rumen um, is the big driver of it um, in terms of it costs energy to excrete this extra nitrogen through milk and urine um, some of the co-ops have the milk urine and nitrogen level um, but I suppose it's costing the farmers to buy it extra protein it's costing the cow to excrete it and it's costing the environment uh, also through increased nitrogen excretion and through the summer you'll often see in the urine patches um, the excess nitrogen that cows are excreting through urine isn't helping uh, particularly you'll see them in dry in the drier um, months of the summer and you talk about the recommendation for the total diet being anywhere between 16 and 17 percent. And I suppose taking into account mid-season, a lot of farmers would be feeding maybe 16 to 18 kilograms dry matter of grazed grass with a top up of concentrate, which is generally, you know, where conditions are good for grass production. They're, they're, they're feeding maybe one to two kilograms of concentrate. Like, you know, what is your recommended recommendation for a crude protein percentage in a nut or a ration um you know from april to september metabolically I mean, there's no reason really to be more than 13 13 or 14 percent at that time of the year uh when cows are at grass like if if grass through the main grazing season is up around the 20 percent um overall diet 17 percent um, your one kg is only affecting your own, one kg of meal is only affecting your overall diet by what five six percent. So it's minimal um, change it will make. So thirteen fourteen percent uh, to me is loads. And as you say, that is available from co-ops or whoever is providing your ration. And I think, look, what you've said, Mark, is very reassuring because you know a lot of farmers um, might you know use the same nut across the full year but uh, and also I suppose heading into April you know it's it's um, you're getting cows ready for the breeding season and it's reassuring to hear that you know the requirement for protein you know isn't necessarily at the, at the higher end that that's only really when they're I suppose um, in and out um, on off grazing and they have a certain proportion of silage in the diet. It is worth noting him Louise sorry that for the for if, if the high particularly for indoor systems which there isn't that many but and young stock if if there is higher protein requirements uh it needs to be certified by an approved advisor if you're going over and above uh i suppose the 15 percent next year um so so there is discompensations for that Looking then to grassland management, I, I suppose there's there's a huge um, variability in terms of the amount of people who are measuring grass and I suppose the frequency at which they measure grass across the year. From your perspective, Mark, like what would you recommend as a frequency for, you know, across the grazing season in terms of the number of grazings or how frequently depending on the, the stage of the grazing season? I suppose the, the under the derogation there was a minimum requirement of twenty walks per year, but the reality of that is it's, pro- it's probably actually not enough. Well, it's not enough through through the main grazing season, the six months from April through September. Really, um, what I find is some of the very best 
clients that I would have would be walking the farm every week um, and sometimes twice a week when the thing is um, going to take off or has ticked off. Um, I suppose the benefits from what I see from farmers is it keeps it keeps being able to keep keep ahead of the plant um, and it's easier to make decisions about taking out surpluses and it reassures you that you are doing the right thing um, or certainly when feed or the grass starts to slow down to feed extra um, when the grass rates are slow and it also I suppose now trying to build covers to see where you're at in terms of building covers but the biggest thing I would see is the improved utilization and the actual overall improved quality um, that it, it allows farmers to push the boat a small bit in terms of quality and um, that they're maximizing the amount of energy they're getting into the cow um, so I like ideally you'd be saying once a week for the six months um, and maybe every two weeks in thereafter and through the like through December January when growth rates are slow that's the holiday holiday mode and for some farmers, Mark, who are dipping their toe in the water, um, you know, they're starting to grass measure, but they have a limited knowledge. Um, you know, is there help available to them from Chagas? Well, yeah. So I suppose the, the first thing is the grass 10, which started a few years ago at this stage. But there's grass, Chagas run grass 10 courses um, right around the regions. Um, so there is, um, there is help, I suppose, advisors, discussion groups, um they are there and other i suppose the big the biggest where people will learn more is from their their other peer farmers um so if you can pick um a buddy um to even walk the farm with them we see it down here there's a couple of farmers meet uh three or four farmers meet months they walk to each other's farms um and they just take in turns and and that's how you perfect the art of it i suppose just on the actual the reasoning for the the, the grassland measurement, um, the goal is to measure and quantify the measure of grass grown annually. And that is, in effect, going to help us with the application in 2021, the level of grass that we're actually growing and, and that we can quantify what we're growing when we go to the EU to look for a new application. And outside of the grassland, there's also another training course available um, and it's a requirement for derogation farmers. Can you give us some information on that, Mark? Yeah, so I suppose just it's, it's based in an environmental course. Uh, has to be completed by the end of 21. Um, I suppose some of the modules that will be covered uh, will be adopting best practice in nutrient use efficiency and management, which will be looking at the likes of your nutrient management plan, better understanding it. Does uh, the protection of waters um, including new, the water quality, gaseous emissions, biodiversity um, and our overall carbon footprint. So that has to be completed by the end of 21 uh, and in current um, conditions we're in, I suspect they will be next year when them courses are, are rolled out. And you mentioned um, pr protecting waters, and I, I guess this is on a side note, but it is associated with grazing. And we would have spoken to Catherine Keena about biodiversity, and part of that, um, she mentioned, you know, protecting uh, water courses. Can you briefly remind us of the changes, um, you know, in terms of bovines management around water courses? Yeah, so this this was actually introduced in the last um, SI document, but it didn't. It's not coming into effect um, until the start of next year. So I suppose the new strength strengthened water protection measure, which is focusing on intercepting and breaking the nutrient transport pathways and preventing sediment entering into the waters. Um, so the first one, I suppose, uh, is the exclusion of bovines from watercourses. So not allowing animals drink from the watercourses. 
if on farm um, and does if if there is access to water courses on farm there's there's a fence requirement of a, a meter and a half back from the top of the river bank um, where livestock where they have access to water um, if they don't have access to water if there's a fence there already that should suffice um, these measures are for farmers that with a grassland stocking rate over 170 so it's not just the derogation farmers and a point to note on the grassland stocking rate the difference between the grassland stocking rate and the overall stocking rate um, is your total organic nitrogen divided by the grass so we'll all have a couple of clients and there'll be farmers listen that will be stocked at 160 overall but if they have six or seven percent of the farm in cereal or tillage they will be now gone over the 170 so we'll have to abide abide by the rules as well again the 170 grass and stocking rate troughs must be 20 meters back from um water courses um, so any open waters or small drains um, and the last one then the prevention of direct runoff from farm roadways so it's basically breaking the pathway um of nutrients directly going into the going into streams or waterways um, they're the three strengthened measures i suppose that are coming into effect next year and will affect roughly probably a third of the bovine numbers in the country um, not just the derogation as i said and finally, then, um, uh, to look at commonage, and I guess this is not affecting a lot of of farmers within derogation, um, you know, less than 10% of farmers. But can you give us an idea of the new um, regulations around commonage and how it will affect dairy farmers in derogation? Yeah, so I think the numbers are quite small. They're around 300. But basically, if you've if you've commonage or rough grazing included on, on your area maps, um, the limit the limit for both um, organic nitrogen uh, limit and fertilizer are both at the 170 limits. Um, so it just basically means that where where once uh, they were farmed up to 250 organic from a derogation point of view, that now is reduced back to the 170 limit. And the same for the fertilizer uh, allowance is at the 170 limit for, for those um, to commonage and rough grazing. I guess that will have implications in terms of derogation farmers, the stock numbers that can be carried. Um, I think we've had a really nice uh, chat today, Mark. Um, you know, you've catalogued the practices that um, farmers need to implement where they're engaging with um, nitrates derogation. And, you know, I suppose the main aim of this is to protect the environment and, you know, protect the impact of farming on the environment. But I suppose across the conversation, um, you know, a lot of these practices will have a really positive impact on profitability and sustainability of dairy farms going forward. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Emily Louise. That's all for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Mark O'Sullivan for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.